Welcome to Arise Life, a community of believers being equipped, empowered, and released into their destiny. For more information, go to arisealife.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. For the last three or four months, we were talking about Nehemiah and building the wall. But you know, at the end of Nehemiah, we talked about this. They built the wall, but there was no houses in it. See, because God is interested in building a community. He's building a body. Uh, But anybody found that only when you start having relationships with people that mess begins? Nobody? Nobody? Like, you're like, I can do, some of you, the the best time of your life was COVID. Because you're like, I don't have to deal with anybody. I love this. Um, And um, one of the things, though, I love is the Bible is a real book to real people in real time about real stuff. I don't need some mamsy-pamsy Hallmark movie version of life. I need God in the midst of the mess. And, uh, and I love this. Um, so we're going to be going through the book of 1 Corinthians. Now here's why. Here's why. Paul, they, we know more about the church in Corinthians than any other for a couple reasons. One, Paul wrote four letters to the Corinthians, and he visited it probably twice. Now, uh, I think that's because they needed it. You know, you know, sometimes you get attention not for the right reasons. This is, you know, they were a special body. You know, they, they um, you know, uh, who here grew up in a very traditional church where we keep everything under wraps? There's mess, but we don't show it. This was not that church. The mess was very much on the outside. By the way, every church has mess. But, um, and God wants to address it, but he can only address the stuff that comes on the outside. So that's why I'm really excited about us diving into this. But let me say, first of all, um, is that we've talked about this, that sin is, the, the word hamartia, it means to fall short. What sin is, is anything that is human-powered. Human-powered, meaning it, has the, it is unable to do what God requires because it's simply human-powered. You and I were never meant to live this life from ourselves by our own strength, by our own power. God always intended to walk with us and to empower us to do what only God can do through us. That's why... Man, we have all kinds of musical interludes today. I don't know. All right. And so... I don't know. <laughs> There we go. All right. Okay. You may want to set your phones on silent. <laughs> yeah, whatever I'm going to say, it's going to be amazing. Now I figure out what it is. No. Um, so the thing about it is, is this is why, see, God doesn't demand things of us. He empowers us to do them. Does that make sense? It's not him being cruel and demanding something of us we can't do. He's trying to show us what he wants to empower us to do. So all of sin is self-powered. Now, there are some really obvious types of sin. Feel free. What are some obvious types of sin? Just the really, I want obvious ones. Don't get spiritual on me. Murder, murder, murder. Not recommended. By obvious, I mean they have obvious consequences that we can all, like even the world goes, that's sin. What else? Stealing. What? What was the other one? Lying. Lying. Come on. Huh? Coveting. I'm going to put that over on this side, and we'll talk about that in a second. Infidelity. What else? I heard pride. I'll put that over here. What, What was the other one? 
Hatred. Yeah, that's pretty overt. What else? Fornication. All right. You guys are keeping it PC. Um, there's a, I think we could fill this pretty easily. It might not be safe for consumption, but you know what I'm talking about. They're the things that everybody's like, that's bad, right? Overtly, right? We can put prostitution down there. You know, we can put organized crime. We can put a lot of good things, right? Okay. Now, now over on this side, you guys already started on me. There are some more socially acceptable sins, like internal, right? Because they're socially acceptable. Anybody here, you've managed to make sure you don't do anything on this side of the line, the outside, but anybody found that the inside is 10 times as bad? So we got coveting, we got pride. What are some other interior sins? Greed. Lust. Jealousy. I was like, if you guys have run out, we are in trouble. (laughs) Judgment. What was that? Gossip. Gossip. Ooh, yes. I thought that was a spiritual gift. That's what churches are known for. Unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. What's that? Bitterness. Bitterness. What? Oh, everybody. Ooh, that's good. What? Come on. Drunkenness. I'm going to put this over here. That's a little more overt, even though anybody, there are the, the, the hidden versions, right? Oh, mani- oh, but it's for their good. Man- manipulation. Gluttony. I'm going to put that over on this one. It's a little hard to hide. Condemnation. Yeah, come on. What else? What's that? Malice. Malice. Any others? No. Selfishness. Egotism. Let's call it that. Egotism. Prejudice. Sloth. I like that guy, though. What else? What's that? Anger. Come on. What was the other one? Idolatry. Okay, I've run out of room. You guys are really good on this side. Well done. Obviously, somebody's done their homework. Now, now, I, I, can I put over here, I'm going to go ahead and let's put witchcraft. Right? Okay, so we've got the outside, the inside, and, she, and so the Pharisees were really good at managing this side, right? Anybody been in a Pharisaical church? You know what a pharisaical is? It, it has all the um, the beauty of a cemetery, right? Because all the hit, all everything, all of this stuff is hidden under the ground. But we made sure that we mow this regularly. But what about the inside? The inside. Jesus went after that, and he said, "Guys, if you've lusted in your heart, you might. It's the same thing as if you did it." And the and again, this is where the Pharisees are like, "No, how can you demand this of it?" He's like, no, you don't understand. See, sin hurts you. Sin hurts you. Sin is not how God intended. And so he's trying to show you that this, even though you haven't gone to this level, this, and maybe gossip should be over here because it's more overt, but this stuff leads to this because they're all the same thing. One's on the inside, one's the outside. There's no difference. They all reap death. 
because they're all self-powered. Anybody here tried to get free of lust by yourself? You just become more lustful. Anybody tried to get over judgment of somebody all by yourself? What do you do? You become more judgmental, don't you? Okay, better yet, anybody ever tried to get over bitterness themselves? Oh man, you just get a bleeding ulcer, <laughs> right? Because you can't, because God alone can empower us to live the life we were meant to live. This is in fact the gospel. And so again, the great thing about Corinthians, why I love it, is they had both the Pharisees and the prostitutes in the same church. It's a great church. It's a great church to help us out. Because I don't care where you're at, you would have fit in into the church in Corinth. It's a great church. And so um, uh, I'll give you some background on the church, and then we'll figure out how we got there. So the city of Corinth um, is, you know, uh, can we do uh, the first, the next slide? We'll do that. He, he starts out, is we talk about, um, so Paul, Paul, when Paul went to Corinth, in chapter 18, verse 1, it says, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. So how are we going to, this is the first time Paul comes to Corinth. What does after this mean? Something happened before. What happened before? How would I know? Go back. Listen, it's not complicated. If you don't know the answer to something, nine times out of 10, you just need to read a little more. Just look around. So we're going to go back and look at 17 in a second, but can we pull up those maps I got? So Paul had been on this missionary journey. He'd been visiting the churches he had planted in Galatia, for those of you who were with us last year, uh, in Galatia, and he was visiting those, and then he's like, let's keep going, and then he feels led. He wanted to go towards like Pergamum and stuff, and God wouldn't let him, and then he feels... He gets a vision of, of a man calling him to go to Macedonia, go towards Philippi. So he gets on a boat and he heads over to Philippi. And then eventually he, he makes his way to Athens and then down to Corinth. See Corinth there on the map on the right? Some of you are just in map heaven, I know. It's okay. All right, but you notice that little thin area right by Corinth, the uh, thin area of land, that's called an isthmus. I can't say that without lisping. Isthmus. Anyway. It's an isthmus. It is about a 10-mile-wide stretch of land that made the city of Corinth one of the wealthiest nations, uh, cities in the world over and over again in different periods of time. And so if we can go to the next slide. So you see that little isthmus. It resulted in three little cities that make up the city of Corinth. Or not little cities. They were big cities. And what happened is they made this system they figured out that going all the way around the Peloponnesian Peninsula where Sparta was, was really dangerous, but really cheap. They could just drag the boats on rollers over the 10-mile gap and charge a little fee. So they just sat there at the boat ramp and charged people left, right, and center. And all the wealth going to the Aegean Sea and coming from the Adriatic Sea went straight through there, and they just went cha-ching, 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 cha-ching. So it was a sailor's town. Okay, anybody here grew up in a sailor's town? Okay, oh yeah, so do you, what, okay, what kind of morals do sailors have? <laughs> There's a reason why we say cuss like a sailor, right? Like sailors, sailors, uh, they can walk into town, nobody knows me, I've got a ton of money to blow, what bad could happen? Let's find out, right? So sailors, but on top of that, there were merchants who were on business trips, Think Vegas conferences. 
This city was the worst. They had, one of their biggest trades was actually temple prostitution. So it was a really good town, right? And so this city, but it also had a Jewish population. Now, anybody here, if you are religious and you're surrounded by depravity, what, what happens to your level of judgment and accusation? I mean, not you. It, it goes to 11, right? Oh, thank goodness I'm not like that. You guys remember the woman caught in adultery when she's thrown at the feet of Jesus? What do they want to do to her? Stone her. See, what happens with these interior things of judgment and bitterness and jealousy and rage, they get to 11, and then you start using religion as a means to hurt people, as a means to justify accusation and paranoia. And so this is where we are. Okay, so let's jump back. If you've got chapter 17 of Acts, go ahead and flip open. All right, so... We started this trip, we talked about, he started up there, he went to Philippi. You guys remember what happened in Philippi? He preached the gospel, there was great favor, a lot of people came to know the Lord, and then he got thrown in prison, right? You guys remember, he was beaten, thrown in prison, he he cried out to God, they had an amazing worship service, so good that it rocked the place, literally, and 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 an earthquake broke it open, but they, instead of fleeing, they preached the gospel to this guy, the the, the, uh, jailer, the jailer gets saved. Then the, the very uh, elders of the city realize, what have we done? They repent, and the church there gains favor, but they kind of encourage Paul to keep going. <laughs> so then they go to the next city of Thessalonica. Verse 4 says, some of the Jews were persuaded and joined, uh, and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. So he's there, but... The other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters. The marketplace formed a mob and started a riot in the city, and they rushed to Jason's house in order to search of of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out of the crowd. Next thing you know, Paul's running for his life. Now, if you guys remember, when he uh, did evangelism in Galatia, this was his method, right? I mean, like, if he wrote a book, it was like, how to plant a church in two weeks before being stoned. Like, I I mean, it was like his method. Anybody here, you have a cycle in your life, and because God does something good with it, it must be fully of God? We'll see in a minute, right? Justifying the results. By the way, that's Machiavelli, not Jesus. So God doesn't need bad results to get, uh, bad means to get good results. And so every city he goes into, he gets run out of after only a couple weeks. So he goes into Thessalonica, happens again. So he goes to the next town. What do you think happens? Same thing. All right. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. So we're seeing this. Some Jews, a lot of Greeks, and a bunch of prominent prominent people, right? This is what's happening. Every city goes to but some, But other Jews were jealous. So boom, boom, boom. Oh, that's Thessalonica. Next one, Berea. There we go. And this one, we've got a number of prominent women and many Greek men. Again, but, and some Jews. But again, they get run out of town. So now he comes to Athens, and he's tired. He doesn't like, who, he doesn't like being run out of town. Shockingly, right? He doesn't like it, so he tries another tact. And this time, he goes before the Greeks in the Areopagus. This is, the, this is like he's going to speak at Harvard, and he's cleaning up his act. 
Well, uh, dearly beloved, we are gathered today. And, and he gives them this beautiful speech. When I went to school for missions, they told us that was the real mission. That was how you did missions. Which was surprising to me that I learned later that's probably not. Because what happens as the result of his mission work? Let's roll down to verse 32 of chapter 17. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them, those philosophers, sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. It's kind of interesting. It's kind of, I don't know, I'm interested in exploring that. People radically transformed by the gospel, running after God, and I'm kind of interested. Is At that, Paul left the council, and some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysus, that... Okay, what happened in the other cities? Many. What happens here? Some. Many, some. Keep that in mind. So it's from here that he comes to Corinth. And so we're going to jump to uh, verse one of, of uh, verse two of chapter 18. There in Corinth, he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus who had recently come from Italy and his wife, Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Uh, they were rich merchants, and Claudius had uh, taken out a vendetta on the Jews, and so they'd run them out of town uh, in Rome, and so there they are in, Paul, in, Rome, um, in, in Corinth, trying to make a work for themselves. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. <clears throat> By the way, tent making is not a pretty job. Do you know how they make tents? They make them out of leather. Do you know how you make leather? Urine. Can you imagine? I, I always worry about the guys who, who, uh, who, uh, who work porta potty trucks. You know, what do you got to do to get home and clean all that off, right? You know what I mean? But anyway, so it's not a pretty job, but he's, he's doing it. He's working. It, and why is he working? Honestly, the evidence seems to suspect, from what we'll see later in 1 Corinthians, is he's taking a break. He's taking a break after Athens. In fact, he says in 1 Corinthians 1, he says, I came to you with fear and trembling. Run, being run out of town didn't cause fear and trembling? What caused fear and trembling? Because he had forsaken the true gospel for one that was societally acceptable in front of the philosophers. And in fear and trembling, he, he left that. And he is on a little needed retreat with Jesus while he makes tents. We need a gospel that only God can do. Not a gospel of works or self-effort. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, did what he did, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. Now, first of all, we already have a little bit of encouragement. Why? He's been there more than two Sabbaths. That's already broke his record, right? Because what does he do? Every two weeks, he seems to get run out of town. He is made, he's, he's actually, anybody have... <clears throat> Oh, that gets real. Okay, anybody here have someone who acts like a jerk, but then justifies the results? Moving on. And then when people get mad, Jesus said, "You, but you will be persecuted, right? Blessed are those who persecute for what? Big-mouthedness? For what? Righteousness, that means that out of them was flowing supernaturally right relationship with God, producing right results in their lives. That's different than just being persecuted because you're a jerk. 
The world doesn't like the church because oftentimes, instead of demonstrating Jesus, we've demonstrated something else. It's very quiet. Awkward. Awkward. And Paul had tried the more socially acceptable, uh, you know, gospel, and, and he has come here in fear and trembling. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching. In other words, when Silas and Timothy came, I think they reminded him, hey, bro, you have a calling on your life. Your calling is not to make tents. Your calling is to preach the gospel. And he's like, oh, yeah. Anybody here forgotten your calling, forgotten who you are? And you need brothers and sisters to go, hey, 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 look up here. You are not a worm. You are somebody amazing. No, you guys don't need that? We can all go home. No, I mean, that's why we come together, is to be reminded who he says we are. And I don't know about you, but I forget regularly, right? That's why we need one another who believe more in who God says we are than we do, who can remind us when we stumble and fall or we start making tents when we should be preaching. Nothing wrong with making tents. It just wasn't his calling. Anybody here, you got, you got, uh, okay, Try to... Many times, many people bowed out of business in 2008 when everything collapsed. But it, and they went back to work a job. And God said, I never called you to work a job. I called you to build business. And then they finally can't take it anymore, have come back into business. That's the testimony of many of y'all. Why? Because they, it's nothing wrong with working a regular job, but they were called to do business. testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they, uh, which is totally very, the, again, versus the innocuous message he gave to the Areopagus. But anyway. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest. Now this is the point in the story where what happens to Paul at this point? He gets kicked out of town, right? Well, let's see what happens. Because he's done the same thing in this synagogue that he did the last time. So it should result in the same thing, right? Crispus, the synagogue leader, uh, and, and, and then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titus Justice, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. Now, why does God tell you not to be afraid? Because you are or you soon will be. Either way, right? It's, not, it's one of those words you're like, oh, Lord, maybe we don't need this word, right? Let's do another word. Why? He said, he said in 1 Corinthians 1, he said, I came to you in fear and trembling, fear from what had been done to him in the other cities, and fear because he'd walked away from the gospel and, and saying, I just want to know, I, just, I, want, I want to come back to who I'm called to be. And he, but God says, don't fear. For I am with you, and no one is going to attack you and harm you because I have many people in this city. Again, why does God tell him that? Because he's going to feel that people are going to attack him and threaten him. Now, okay, who are my fight people? Do you know what I'm talking about, fight or flight? Like fight means, oh, we, oh, oh is that how it is? Oh, we're getting it on, right? Fight people is like, I submit to you, Paul was a fight person. Anybody here, when the threat of a fight happens, you just decide, let's do a preemptive strike. <laughs> my, my fight people are like, yeah, <laughs> I am with you. All right. 
Anybody have a cycle in your life where you have relationship, 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 and then boom, new relationship, boom. This is a story of how that cycle changes. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half. Do you see a shift? I've discovered in my own life, when I begin to partner with fear, accusation is close behind it and judgment is is party to it. And then followed by my friend paranoia. Anybody can justify that? Um, I've said this many times that Jesus is, uh, that I used to sit in restaurants with Masha. This is in Russia. This is many, 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 not too many, but many years ago. I would sit in Russia and I was paranoid of being American in Russia. And so I would literally use my, not, I would use human discernment to understand how people were talking about me and what they were saying. Doesn't that sound pathetic? Please, it does. But do you know, that's what the enemy will do is he will come to you and whisper you and tell you what's happening in the hearts of other people. He'll tell you the lies that they're believing. You know why, how he knows? Because he gave them those lies. They may not be believing them, but they're, but they're being fed them. And when that happens, that paranoia, that anxiety, guess what? One of two things is gonna happen to you when you begin to partner with accusation and paranoia and judgment, you will either do one of two things. You will either distance yourself from the person inside and the judgment will go to 11. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You remove yourself up to a very high place where you're like, I feel sorry for them, those poor people. Who are my people? Blink twice. Okay, yeah, yeah, you know what you're talking about. Or the other one is this. Oh yeah, preemptive strike, baby, right? And preemptive strike might be gossip, right? I mean, it's a spiritual gift after all. I mean, I'm just spreading truth. Let's just pray for her. Dear May. He manages though. Something has fundamentally shifted for Paul and he's staying in this very messy body for a year and a half. While Gallo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul. I thought you said nobody was going to hurt me. Just because attacks come doesn't mean you get hurt. Unless you react. Just saying. And brought him to the place of judgment. This man they charged is persuading the people to worship God's in way, God in ways that are contrary to the law. I love this. God will not tempt you, allow you to be tempted above what you're able to endure. What was Paul's greatest gift? His tongue. Right as Paul was about to speak, God's like, ah, oh, you can't handle this one. <laughs> he knows what we can handle. He, it, Paul's like held his tongue for a year and a half, right? And he's finally like, oh, is that how it's going to be? And God's like, easy, easy, tiger. Just as he was about to speak, Gallo, Gallio, the proconsul, said to them, if you Jews were speaking a complaint about some misdemeanor or crime, it would be reasonable for, you, for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of the, such things. So they, he drove them off, and then the crowd turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue leader, and beat him up in front of the proconsul, and Gallio showed no concern whatsoever. You can see Paul, he's like, he's like got the whole plan of attack, right? How he's going to defend himself. Instead, God's like, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. 
How many times have I not seen the salvation of the Lord because I decided to help God out? Blink twice. I can't tell if I've lost you or we've all gone to hell together. Okay, you know what I'm talking about? Like, I have got to defend myself. I've got to protect myself, or, or maybe I'm protecting others. That's what I tell people, or tell God or somebody, whoever's listening. But no, no, if I will stand firm, I can see God move. But oftentimes, I can't wait. Why is patience a fruit of the Spirit? Because you ain't got it on your own, <laughs> right? But Paul is learning, but God still knows in his weakness. Easy, tiger, Right? He won't test you above what you're able to endure. A lot of times, like I said, if we've been on the cycle of, of those things over and over again, we can start to justify it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Justifying the cycle of rejection, justifying the, the, you know, the cycle of, of judgment, justifying the, the, the cycle of accusation or, or uh, bitterness and, and backbiting. <clears throat> But God wants to war for us. One of the things the Lord said to me a lot recently, when people, have you ever had somebody do something bad to you? Betray you? I don't, I, in the past, I used to give that to myself. I would receive that as a blank, uh, um, a blank check to write them off. Doesn't that make sense? If somebody betrays you, wouldn't you write them off? Do you know what God kept saying to me? He said, Peter, why are you letting them tell you who they are? Why are you partnering with who they think they are rather than who I say they are? I was like, because it's a good idea? Because it makes sense? Because they started it? Because they did? And he said this to me. He said, Peter, when you agree with them, you close the casket. And I can't do anything else in that situation. But if you will partner with me for who I say they are, then I can bring resurrection even in dead relationships, even in dead situations, even in the worst of situations. That was a very sad day when he took away my permission slip. Because that's when I felt most confident in judgment. It's not accusation. I'm just agreeing with what you said. But accusation is actually agreeing with what the enemy says. And if someone else is agreeing with the enemy and I agree with them, then we're walking in accusation together. I don't know if I can. I said, I said, accusation comes from the enemy, the accuser of the brethren. Accusation, if they are agreeing with accusation and I agree with them in accusation, then we're both partnering with the devil. Even, anybody here, when you're being dumb, need people not to agree with you? especially when we're dumb. We need people who say, I know who you are and I won't give an inch on who you think you are right now. I won't give it. So Paul stayed in Corinth for some time after this, right? So then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria. Like this was probably the first time he'd done it at a leisurely pace. He probably ordered a cruise. Like he was like, this is weird. Like, there's not like a screaming mob here to show me off. This is great. God wants to rewrite our stories. And just because he's used bad things for good doesn't mean it's his best. God, I believe, did not want Joseph to end up in a pit or end up in slavery. 
but between what his brothers did and what he did to his brothers. But that doesn't make it God's best. He will use everything for our good if we give it to him. But wouldn't it be great if he had some better stuff to work with? What if he didn't have to keep giving you a new friendship, giving you a new relationship? What if he could, you didn't have to keep giving you a new church or a new place of work? What if you didn't have to keep leaving and starting over again? This is a, what I am want to invite us to do today is I believe what God is going to do for us is he's going to lead us to become a body where just like Corinth, you're not here because of what you did or didn't do. You're not here because of the, the, how, what the condition of how transformed you are yet or not, but you're here because you want Jesus at all costs. Years ago when we had rich people and orphans in a house church, I was like, how do we keep them all here? He said, you keep real food on the table and the hungry will come. <clears throat> We cannot be a church that is impressed with sin. There's two ditches with sin, as there always is. One is, uh, what's the normal ditch for, for how the church deals with sin? Ignore it. Ignore it, uh, ignore it. And you know what ignore means? Ignore means that we feel powerless to deal with it. It really is a weird way of saying sin is too powerful for us. And eventually you'll just get it all sorted out in the sweet by and by. That's ignore. What's the other ditch the church likes to do? Judge. Judge, shame. Mm-hmm. Judge and shame. By the way, Sadducee, Pharisee, but there you go. Anyway, huh? Condemn. Yeah, why bother with just judgment and shame? Let's go all the way, Right? Now, I have a question. I have a question. If you condemn, judge, and shame, does that make it go away? Does that make sin stop? Now, it might mow the lawn, so to speak. But does it get rid of lust? No. So the reality is both inadvertently tend to view sin and, and the reason why we do condemn, judge, and shame is because we're actually terrified of sin. So actually, both ditches are really impressed with... Normal, ooh, normalize. Ooh, yeah. I mean, that's just the way I am. You can't expect that of me, right? So we've got... We, both sides are actually really impressed with sin and equally powerless to deal with sin. Anybody see a problem? But Jesus, but Jesus, see, I don't have to, if I, if I shame, judge, and condemn, it just goes underground. Here, I elevate it, and I normalize. Either way, sin does not decrease, it actually increases. Anybody here uh, cut down dandelions in your yard, but didn't dig them up? What happens? More, <laughs> Right? Both of these depend on human will. Both of these depend on human ability. They do not depend on the gospel. They do not depend on Jesus. And what Paul is talking to, and I love this. I love Corinth because, listen, when they sinned, they sinned good. I mean, bad. 
Very bad. Like, enough to make us feel good about ourselves. You know, like, like, like literally, if the gospel is good enough for that, we're in good stead. Like, it's that kind of thing. The, the gospel is enough, not just to deal with sin, but to deal with broken relationships and allow people who have different sins, which, by the way, by the way, if we, impre- we are impressed with sin, one of the other tactics we use is we start to rate sins. No? You don't? Really? Okay, 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 okay. So, um, so uh, on a scale of one to 10, uh, a white lie. What's that? A three. Oh, I would have said one. I need a one for that. Uh-huh. You look lovely. Um, all right, so. I was speaking prophetically. Um, anyway, um, okay, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, okay, but so what we do is we actually rate sins according to the size of the external effect, right? It's correct. But here's the thing. All sin leads to death and all sin undealt with, not brought to the cross, multiplies like dandelions in your life. And oftentimes, instead of allowing God to deal, which is the sin we should deal with in our lives? What, huh? Whatever God is putting his finger on. Do you know why? Because you and I can't mess with sin anyway. We can't deal with sin anyway. The only sin we can deal with is the one he's put his finger on. But do you know what I used to do when people came to Jesus? I provided them. I was like a fitness coach. <laughs> Wonderful. First of all, we're emptying your refrigerator. Uh, second of all, you and I are going to meet four times every day, and we're going to work out until you are changed. And we used to do this with our kids. What we realized is four times a day wasn't enough. We had to be with them, our orphans. 23 hours a day wasn't enough. Because in one hour of freedom, what could they do? Blow the whole wad, right? You know? You're like, you're like I left you for one hour, and then I found you at McDonald's. Oh, right? Because we attempt, human effort is unable to deal with sin. The only sin that is worth dealing with is the one God puts his finger on. But you know what? When I'm feeling helpless and powerless in my own sin, a lot of times I like to focus on your sin. And I found there's really, again, two ditches with with focusing on other people's sin. I've done a lot of field research for you. Don't worry. (laughs) One ditch is I try to find the people that are not sinning the way I sin, right? Because those are the bad ones, right? Like, okay, this is going to get way too real. But I found that those who have not been sexually promiscuous tend to love to judge the living tar out and be terrified of those who have been. So, but there's another ditch. Don't worry. He got, devil is equal opportunity. The other ditch is we judge the people who sin like us. So in other words, if I'm struggling with my children... I look around for people who are struggling with their children worse today. Oh my gosh, just failing horribly, right? <laughs> Nobody understands anything of what I'm talking about. So really, we either look for the people who are not sitting like us or at least are having a bad day in our sin. And we use that judgment as an excuse to not partner with God in the area that God's put his finger on. Because only God can deliver us from what we are in right now. 
because the reality, we talked about that rating of sin. The difference is every sin has different effect, right? Like doing heroin has slightly different effects than having another piece of white bread. No? Yes? If we've lost you there, it's over. Okay. There is a difference, fundamental difference. Life-threatening. Life-threatening. Serious sins have serious consequences, but only God can help you clean up the mess. Every other way of cleaning up mess just puts it in toxic waste barrels and stores it in the attic where it begins to leak down on the, on the people who visit your home. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I don't have a problem with rage. <laughs> right? But only God can deal, but only God will, he can deal with the thing he puts his finger on. Now, interestingly enough, a lot of times he'll put his finger on the area you have the biggest mess. Why? He doesn't want you to die from it. Does that make sense? But here's the thing. Who is the one who puts the finger on it? Jesus. But I have a gift at helping people understand their failings. <laughs> I have a gift. I, you know what? What I found out is most of the time, I just want to help people with the sins that bother me. If I help, if I am pointing out the sin that bothers me, am I helping them come to Jesus? Now, I'm not saying we normalize it. I'm not saying we ignore things. When things come to the surface, they usually come to the surface for a reason. But if my response is accusation, judgment, and paranoia, am I helping the situation? No. We've been talking about this in the way we look at deal with Russia. I'm sorry, I, I'm, going, I'm, I'm, I'm landing the plane here into the side of a mountain. Is I, I feel like I have, have been forced to, with dealing with the stuff in Ukraine, to develop a muscle of the ability to stare into the deepest darkness and see God's hope. See, um, I, I mentioned this, I think, last week, uh, or I've mentioned it several times, but when we got the voicemail from my friend Roma, who's hiding in a bunker, and, the, and the, his voice is shaking as the bombs are falling, I went to such a bad place. I felt helpless. I felt powerless. I, I, I was despairing because... I had just gotten word that the Russian fleet was headed towards Odessa, where he was hiding. And I, they were planning an amphibious assault on Odessa, which would result in horrific loss of life. And God said to me in this moment, he said, Peter, you going to hell, you going to this place of despair with, uh, does not help Rome at all. You and I being impressed with someone else's sin does not help them at all. We've just joined on the side of the enemy. I, what I need to be doing in that moment is I said, okay, what is it? He said, press in for hope. I said, what does hope look like in this situation? By the way, it was a rhetorical question. I wasn't looking for an answer. You know what I'm talking about? I was like, what does that even look like in this situation? And that was the point when I heard him whisper divine wind. And I said, what does that mean? And he, he, the long and short of it was that the wind would rise up in such a way to make it that they could not do an amphibious landing. And for the next 10 to 14 days, as we raised up people to pray for that, that's exactly what happened. The winds never died in, in, in Odessa, and the seas were too choppy, and they burned through millions of dollars of diesel and turned around and went back to Crimea, never having invaded. 
Let me tell you this. If you are bothered by someone's sin, if God reveals, or honestly, by the way, most of the time God doesn't reveal sin, it's usually the devil. Just because it's actually happening doesn't mean God has shown it to you. But if in showing it to you, it takes you to hell and judgment and accusation and paranoia and fear, it's not Jesus. But in that moment, if you see it, God, what are you saying about this? What is the hope you have for this person? And listen, you know what real intercession is? You know why sometimes intercession takes a while? It takes you a while for God to change yours and my hearts to be able to see what he sees. To move from a place of judgment to a place of hope, to war for their best rather than fight against their sin. Because see, sin is as to darkness as, as, as uh, light is to righteousness. Or other way around. Righteousness is to light. Righteousness and light are real things. Sin and darkness are not real things. They're falling short. They're absences. We cannot afford to be a body that is impressed with sin. We have to be impressed with righteousness and hope so that we can begin to partner with God in the midst of broken relationships for what God wants to do in each other's lives. Because we've got to be lifeguards for one another. So that is an introduction to 1 Corinthians. We're going to have a lot of fun going through this book. I seriously, I, like I said, it's a lot of fun because uh, they messed up worse than us. So we can feel pretty good about ourselves for a moment. But what I want to say is I'm believing that we're going to become a body where people walking in get set free from sin. Because there are people fighting for them, not against them. There are people fighting for them. That we become known as a body of freedom. If the worship team could come up. Oh, thank you. If you could, Rich, I'll take out all these lights if left to my own. Uh, I, I have to say there's many times where I've been frustrated with someone else's sin and God has told me, shut up and pray. Maybe I should grab a prayer group to pray for them. No. No. <laughs> right? I want to stay in a place of hope. I want to stay in a place of... We don't want to cover up sin. We don't want to cover up when... when listen, this is not... Listen, if horrible things are happening, we got to deal with them, right? You got to understand. There's child molestation, there's abuse, things like that happening. Listen, we're going to deal with that. I'm not talking about that. Can we be real? I'm not talking about things where it's life-threatening. I'm talking, but for those things, we're going to rise up a body, but we're still going to stay in hope for them. We're still going to stay. If we can rise up. Father, I just ask right now that you would give us hope today. Lord, hope for our sin. Hope for our areas where we're bound. Hope for the areas where we've been walking in judgment and despair. Hope for the people we love in our lives. That this, we would be a house of hope. Give us hope today. Give us your eyes of hope for the, each of these areas. In your name, amen. Let's worship. For more information, go to arisenlife.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram.